here in Ireland, everybody remembers Daniel Tomofte, and it's in my DNA, it's in his DNA. And I don't mind people talking about it, to be honest, as a good memory. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Now welcome along Football Show coming at you Interesting evening at the World Cup If you're just tuning in Marcelo Mori Irahu will join us later on to talk Argentina I'm told, I mean I don't believe it But I'm told Kevin Kilban has followed through on promise to join me live on the air Kevin Kilban, good evening Good evening, Joe. Oh, look at this. He's here. He's not even at a metro this time. Wow. No, I stayed behind. I stayed in the media, um, what, do you, what do you call it, the media lounge here. So, And it is quite a fancy lounge, Joe. I'll give it that. Yeah. So I stayed around just so I could talk to you. What, what better way to spend my evening after watching Argentina and Poland? And is there a special lounge for players with 100 caps or more? Or do you have to mix with media? Oh, I mix with the, the mediocre, uh, mediocrity of media. Yeah, that's where I am. I'm rounded all, Joe, you know? Oof, I wouldn't say you like that. There's a nice plant behind you no. there. I mean, you're framed beautifully. Yeah, I know. I, I, I stage manage this. Oh, I've seen a few <laughs> of the guys around here. You know, Dan McDonald's floating around today. Gavin Kuminski. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, there's quite a few of the guys, yeah. Ken Early. Yeah, all, all, the, all the top journals, you know? Anyone who's, anyone who's anybody made it out there. That's it. That's it. I couldn't make it, Joe, no. I couldn't make it, no. Uh, so, you are at the stadium. You've just seen Argentina beat Poland 2-0. We have seen yes. Mexico beat Saudi Arabia 2-1. We'll get into the minutiae of what happened this evening in just a second. But the headline news for anybody who's been busy today and is just catching up with us. Australia, earlier on, they went through to the knockout stages for the second time in their history. They beat Denmark. Denmark gone. Uh, second string, France, beaten by Tunisia. Of course, they were already through as group winners. And now this evening, Argentina and Poland go through as well. So if you're thinking about your weekend, the last 16 pitches up as follows. Argentina, Australia will play each other. That will be your Saturday evening game, 7 o'clock Irish time. You will, before that on the Saturday, have Netherlands against USA. And then the Sunday, 3 o'clock, you'll see France take on Poland. And then Sunday, 7 o'clock, England will play Senegal so that's how the last 16 looks thus far uh, there was an extraordinary period in the game this evening where Kev we were down to yellow cards yeah it's crazy absolutely we, we were we were all checking our phones during the game what's the story here we were waiting for the Mexico result to come through um, seeing what was happening obviously Mexico were two up at the time and we were hearing Mexico on seven yellow cards Poland on five Poland go through on yellows we were like it's crazy I mean <laughs> obviously everyone's asking the question then has anyone ever gone through on on uh, fair play and I think Senegal is it Senegal got put out a few years ago I think it was somebody told me I'll take your word for it I don't have an army of Canadian researchers telling me what's what Kev sorry no there's no age I'm, I'm getting um, how many assistants so do you have my, I, I'm just getting my own information from the internet asking people around me you know Joe, Joe sometimes you can talk to people I've always said this Joe talk <laughs> to people it's good for you it's best avoided I find honestly yeah I, I can clearly see that <laughs> Uh, so it was extraordinary and uh, we were watching the BBC and we definitely felt there was a slight lag in the BBC fully understanding what was going on so everybody was scrambling a bit yeah. I presume I mean I don't know if you've been in a situation like that I presume somehow some way the Polish players must have been told no more yellows 100% well you could see the tempo of the game for the last 10 minutes it was almost like watching Ireland against um, Holland in, in Italian 90 if you remember that famous game where 
Nobody wanted to score. The ball was just being played in the middle of the park. Argentina just keeping the ball. And Poland just had every single player behind the ball, like not even trying to get close that there was any chance of getting a yellow card. But I, I, even in the first half, you're watching the game and you're thinking, surely to God, Poland are going to have to come out and get a goal at some stage. Because then we're here in Mexico, have gone in front. Then it's getting dicey for the goal difference and things like that and goal scored. And then they continue to play the same way, offered no threat. Then, it, then we're here in Mexico to cartoon a lot. And then obviously Argentina get the second goal as well. And if there's another goal for Argentina or a goal from, from Mexico, they're done. So, but they never changed the game plan at all. It was, it was madness. And then, obviously, towards the end of the game, it was down to yellow cards. And it was, uh, it, was, it was crazy stuff, mad stuff, really. When you're watching the match like that and you're realising, absolutely, Joe, the word must have come through from the bench. Do not touch anybody. Do not go anywhere near Messi when he's going on one of these dribbles. Stay clear. Stop the yellow cards. But it still didn't take away from the fact is if Argentina scored, they're done anyway. So... I don't know. It was, it was a crazy one. It was a crazy one to watch, watching the game in, under those circumstances. Poland were a disgrace, really. They were shocking. They, they basically they excommunicated Lewandowski game, from though. the team. They said, Lewandowski, you go up there and I'd say you had a great appreciation for it at the stadium. I mean, he must have been 30, 40 yards from any teammate oh, at any one time. Joe. They never tried to do anything with the ball. They were really abysmal, actually. I mean, I wouldn't have been too upset if they'd been kicked out of the thing. For Lewandowski, maybe you'd like it, to see them go through, but yeah, they brought nothing to it, the party. It, you're spot on with that for Lewandowski. You kind of want them, want them in it, but they offered nothing. They offered nothing in the first game against Mexico, and even in the second game against the Saudis, they, they weren't great, and you're thinking, you know, there's got to come... A t- Obviously, they got the goals in that game, so they win it, so you have to say a job done in that, but they weren't great. But more so, for Mexico, anyone that's watched Mexico, and I pointed it out to, to you and the guys before the, the show... It's probably the worst Mexican team that I've ever seen at a World Cup. Like everyone, sure, all Irish fans would have appreciated watching Mexico over the years, the little bit of spark that the team's bring. Mexico have been dreadful, by the way. And, and you know, watching even watching their game against Argentina, the way that they just tried to stifle the life out of Messi and, and Argentina, they deserve to lose that game. So out of the two, I was half half wanting the Saudis to go and win the game today or get something from the game. So they got out because the way that Poland and Mexico have approached this tournament, they, not, they didn't deserve to, to no. do anything. Did you say Poland, Poland have France, Joe? That's right, isn't it? Yeah, Poland play France on the Sunday at 3 yeah. o'clock Irish time. So they've no chance in that really unless they change tack. And, well, and Mex- like Mexico, so. yeah. Mexico, for their approach against Argentina, almost deserved for a time to go out on yellow cards there because they were disgraced in that game as well. They're two awful teams. They're bringing nothing to the party. No, exactly. I agree. Both sides. And that's why I said you were half open Saudi Arabia could, could actually pick them both and get out in the end because you're obviously desperate to see Messi and Argentina go on. Argentina weren't great, actually, in that Saudi game, as, as we all know. But at least they were trying against Mexico. They were trying to go at them. Obviously, they needed to get themselves back into, into the group. They did that, got the result. But Mexico were just dreadful, offered nothing going forward, as they did, as we showed the same against Poland. And then... You try and shape up to try to get something against Saudi Arabia tonight. I mean, I've, I didn't see the game, so it's hard for me to judge that Mexican side on, on tonight's performance. But Poland and Mexico, in the games that I've seen them play, have been awful, dreadful stuff from, the, from those two sides. Yeah. So, being at the game, being at the stadium, with a view to the French game, what are Poland trying to do? Because just from what I saw on TV, and, and the game did take on an odd quality, obviously, for the last 20 minutes, half an hour, but... It looked yeah. in the main like it was just boot the ball long to Lewandowski and let's see what the big man yeah. can do. Well, before this game tonight, I think we heard that uh, Poland hadn't, hadn't strung six passes together in the first two matches. Now, you think about that for a moment. How many times do you see a, play, a team passing across the back four 
you could do six passes in, in 20 seconds of a game, couldn't you? Yeah. And they hadn't strung six passes before tonight, so I don't even know what it was tonight. I can't remember them stringing six passes uh, together in this game either. And as you say, even even goal kicks from Chesney, they were, they, they were playing almost 80s football. Everyone squeezed into one side of the pitch, lump it long to Lewandowski. Lewandowski looks to flick it on. If he wins the header, it goes through to nobody. The opposition win the tick, win the ball back, and then everyone from Poland filters back into shape. So I, I, I just... I just, I just wasn't excited at all. They offered nothing to me, Poland, in this tournament where I'm going to see... And they've got, they've got, was it Zielinski from Napoli? Good player, obviously Lewandowski. They've got Milik. They've got good players in the side. Players that get good link-up men. A lot of pace in the side. Um, well, Krakowiak as well is another one that you're thinking, yeah, he can bring something. He's, he's obviously played at a high level, good experience, but just awful stuff, Joe, watching them. And I, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to say I, I want to go and watch a team and hope they get beat from France, but I hope they at least show that they can go and show a bit of the talent that they've got within the side and go and attempt to go and beat France because if they play like that, France are going to destroy them. Yeah. Are you going to apologise to Kev for saying he'd be a no-show earlier on, says Graham. Absolutely not, Graham. Yeah, ap- apologise. Apolog- Absolutely you're, 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 not. You're, very not, you're, you're, you're an anonymous character when you're on radio. You can get away with anything, you know? That's <laughs> the thing. And, and you, you, it, there's got to be times when you, you need to be held accountable for what you say. I told the Irish public at seven there was no chance you'd make it. None. Unreliable. Oh, well, I made it the other day. I sat in a metro station talking to you two nights ago. It's borderline unusable. With yeah, get out of town. The Brazilian Brazilian fans coming past me with with drums and everything. I couldn't I could hardly hear you speak, but <laughs> I did my best for you, Joe. I'm always here for you. You know that. You're better off not hearing my questions. How was Messi this evening? Ah, oh, he's class. He was class, wasn't he? he? Missed the pen, obviously, but second half, couple of little dribbles and Joe. Uh, all the Argentina fans uh, where, where I was sat were just down to my left and, and all uh, and all around the back of the goal to my left. And um, every time he gets it, the Argentine fans are up. And with that little, he had a dribble where he kind of run out of space towards the left-hand side and scuffed his shot. Yeah. But the buzz in the stadium, just the lift that Messi gives everybody, it, it, it's special watching him play. And I think everyone was coming here tonight hoping it wasn't his last World Cup game, but there was that in the back of the mind. If Argentina do get beat tonight, it'll be Messi's last ever World Cup match, but I'm certainly glad that's not the case and we get to see him again. Uh, But it was nice to see him in the flesh anyway, what is probably his last World Cup. Yeah, and look, it's great. I mean, you're such a fan and such a lover of football as well and you've literally played against him, so not everybody can say that. But he is um, such an interesting figure to watch in the flesh you can't but be drawn to yeah. it. It happens on TV as well, to be fair. You're always scanning yeah. the screen on TV. Where is he? What's he doing? Yeah. I mean, so often he's not doing very much. Do you uh, see this as Messi being yeah. super intelligent or is he just conserving himself at this stage of his career? Obviously, it was super intelligent think- for the for the goal the other evening when Di Maria yeah. gave it to him. But But in the main, is he just walking around conserving energy or how do you read it? I think it's probably a bit of both, Joe. I think you're right. I think he knows that he can't maintain the level energy-wise and you know performance-wise like that because he probably recognises he might not have enough in the legs, but unbelievably strong. You can still see players bouncing off him. You can still see that he runs faster with the ball than without it, actually. when I think he was put through there tonight and he's tried to get up ahead of steam and the Polish defender just come back and took the ball off him. So he's, he's obviously not as dynamic as he once was. I think that's fair to say. But there is still that buzz whenever he touches the ball and he still has that little bit of skill, that little bit of magic. He hardly gave the ball away tonight. I was I was half looking to try and get his own individual stats tonight because a couple of longer balls that he tried to hit that, that didn't come off for him. But 
In terms of keeping the ball and his recognition of space around him, taking the ball under pressure, always one and two touch passing. Um, I don't think there's anyone better. Do you know, Joe, and I know that they're talking coming over to the MLS and he'll be playing for Miami for the next few years, but he could play as a holding midfielder in some of the top sides. He could go back to Barcelona and do a Xavi role for another three or four years. That, that's the thing where you half think, does he need to go to the MLS where he can play could play into his 40s in the MLS. Surely he's got another two or three more years where he can play as a holding midfielder or, you know, just a guy that, that makes the game tick over because I can imagine him playing in that role and just never giving the ball away and still being able to bring that little bit of magic once or twice in a game by beating a few players and sticking them in the top corner. So I'd love to see him carrying in Europe and still go for another Champions League, not just this season, but beyond that. Yeah. I was reading your Irish Times piece today, Kev. Really? Wait, how, how was that? It was very good. It? No, no, it was very good. I'll always, I'll, I'll always wait for you to be the, the, the critique that I would be <laughs> I wanting to stand by my side, Joe, you know? Very uh, fetching photo. Got your suit and tie and jacket on. Is it? Someone told me, I, I think it was actually Johnny Ward told me I looked like a, 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 an Careful. estate agent. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, so, so, as soon as I mentioned Johnny Ward, I just panicked. Through. I just panicked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what jumped out a few things you talk about England, but you started off talking about Belgium. So, tomorrow, just to kind of get our heads around tomorrow, we have Belgium who are on three points against Croatia on four points. Let's assume for a second that Morocco will beat Perot Lucas Canada. So, Morocco have every yeah. chance of going to seven points, which means Belgium may very well have to beat Croatia, which is quite something. You are, yeah. I'd, I'd have to say, I don't disagree with you, by the way, but it's its quite interesting. You're pretty scathing of Roberto Martinez. There's a few things. You mentioned the fact that, you know, akin to Southgate, he never did a huge amount of club level to get the job of guiding some of the best players in Europe. And you're not sure if he's the right man for the job. You were shocked he didn't know about De Bruyne's interview where De Bruyne had said the team were too old. Yeah. And you said as well that you've heard, I guess, in the world of football, that Lukaku fell out with Martinez at Everton, not over his coaching methods, but over his man management. And you said that Martinez appears to court the media. He's polished and quotable, but that is not the feeling within the game from players that I know he has managed. So that's pretty scary. Yeah, players that, you've talked to, they don't, no, they don't yeah. rate him. I stand by that, yeah, absolutely stand by that. No, it's, and again, it's not necessarily down to his coaching methods either. Um, plenty, plenty, actually. Um, but I, again, I'll stand by my point where I'm saying there. I, I think that what's he done with this Belgian side in, is this his third major tournament? I think it's his third major tournament with Belgium. And there's no progression. There is no progression with the side. If anything, well, it's, it's total regression. They, but they've, they're nowhere near the level that they were four years ago, nowhere near the level they were probably six years ago when, when all these youngsters were, were coming into the side. And and it looks like, to me, another one's got away from them. Now, they could go and beat, they could go and beat Croatia, however unlikely that seems to me, given the, the last two performances, because the last two were, were awful. They, should have, they shouldn't have won the game against Canada, dreadful throughout that match, but they, they, got the, they had the killer instinct and got the win. And Morocco showed their quality and, and outplayed them. So... I, I can't see them getting in the out of Croatia. They, they may do, and you know, then you maybe you hold your hands up and say fair play to you. But no, uh, absolutely. Um, within the game, there are a, a number of players that yeah. virtually everyone that I've ever spoken to actually would not have uh, great things to say about him. No. Wow, that's incredible because he is so polished 
and so good in front of camera that you would think, oh, this is a stand-up guy. Well, exactly. Well, there you go. That's that's what it is. I think he's he's gone he's gone down a route where he's he's managed to get a lot of people on side, hasn't he? Where that feeling is, um, what a great coach. The feeling is, what a great man. What a great and. You know what? He may just have that instinct as a coach where he actually just doesn't give a crap about any, what, any of his players. It's almost about, I've got to have a persona to, to make sure that I'm continuously going to get the next job. So I've got a good image with, with owners of football clubs, with CEOs of football clubs. And ultimately, I'm a decent coach on the training ground, which he actually is, no doubt about that. But when it comes down to intricacies of dealing with top-class players, I think that's where, ultimately, I think his downfall has been. Mm. And so to be fair here, it's important I make the point that he's not here to defend himself. And I dare say lots of players think he is a very good man manager and these things can be subjective. But when the players you've spoken to talk about him behind the scenes, like there's different types of poor man management. He doesn't strike me as somebody who'd be super aggressive and, and in people's faces. So what is no, it? What, what, what would be the, the complaint? I think, I, I, think, I think it's more the fact is that he wouldn't necessarily be the sort of man that you, you, he would tell it to you straight when a lot of you know, the top-class players want it to be told straight, whether you're not in the team, whether you're not playing well, whether you're going to be sold or whatever it's going to be, yeah. you want to be told straight by the manager. I think, there's, I, think, I think that is the case, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's difficult if him and Lukaku fell out, for instance, at Everton, which you heard, then, you know, that's a, I presume they've made it up to some extent or other. But like the De Bruyne interview, what we can certainly say, the De Bruyne interview where he said that he thought Belgium were too old to win the World Cup. Yeah. That did not sound a note of a happy camper. No, exactly. You can, I mean, there's a bit, there's, there's a talk that they've fallen out as well, isn't there, again? And invariably, you know how a lot of these journalists, they're all, uh, certainly from different nas- national teams or national journalists from different countries, invariably they've gotten in with an agent that represents one of the, one of the, the country's top players. And if the stories are coming out, invariably the truth that, you know, Hazard and De Bruyne and Vertonghen and, and all these guys are not, are not on the same page right now, then you know kind of what's going to happen down the line. We've seen it with France in the past. We've seen it with Holland in the past when, when they've gone to major tournaments. That once there's a, there's a rift within the camp, then it's gone. It's almost done. And that's what seems to have happened before they've actually met up on this, uh, for this World Cup here. Yeah, well, look, again, Roberto Martin is not here. And I, I dare see, say he'd have his own version of events and maybe players haven't always been great with him. But it's, it's definitely quite striking, the, the perspective that you've had from, from talking to players in the game. Yeah, yeah. On um, England then, last night, so uh, Wales have not had a great tournament, it's fair to say. Rashford and uh, Foden. Joe, uh, yeah. Wales, 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 you could probably legitimately say they've been the worst team in this tournament for what they've offered. Second you know, to Qatar. Surely Qatar are worse than Wales. Qatar had a bit of a goal though, didn't they, in some of the games? Qatar were, you know, they could have had a couple of penalties, maybe hard done by against Senegal, I think it was as well. Yeah. Um, so Wales that bad? You know, yeah, without, they've, they've offered nothing going forward. They've not even, they've, like, they got a, they got a draw against the USA, and that was down to the US. Who, you know, I, I spoke about the US. There's a lot of energy in the team, not creating chances. Didn't necessarily go and kill Wales off, and then they sat back for the last 20 minutes, and Wales. They were gifted Wales a penalty, their only real shot on goal, to be honest with you. And then they go into the next game and then they sit back against Iran. And there's your chance. That's your, that's your chance to sit on four points going into the game against England. Well, you take your chances then and you think that you might have a, a chance of maybe even nicking a draw against England. But nothing against Iran. And then they go into the into the England game and, and offer nothing again. So 
I, I think you can legitimately easily say that, that they were actually on a par with Qatar the way that they've gone out of the tournament. Yeah, very disappointing. Uh, England much better in the second half than the first. Rashford and Foden to the four. Yeah, so yeah. now uh, yeah. Gareth Southgate has a dilemma. He does. He does, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking on, on that yourself with, with, with the Foden issue, but he, he is England's best player. He's certainly been England's best player for the last 18 months, albeit at club level. We're judging him from what he's been doing at Manchester City. Um, outstanding talent. Yet this outstanding talent can't make his way into, into the uh, starting eleven with England. And one or two of the things, I, I, I think it's safe to say that his form has been a lot better and it's a lot more consistent than Raheem Sterling. And... I think if you're looking at England's front three, I would have probably looked at Kane, Foden off the left and Saka on the right. I think that's probably where he first. So, but he went with, with Sterling, who obviously scored in the first game against Iran and maybe gone with, with him because of big game experience. But again, I took, I mean, we looked at even Trent Alexander-Arnold, certainly in the second game where, the, um, where they were playing against the US. Everything was in the US, middle of the park, the energy that was showing. It was in a wide area where you need good quality and Trent Alexander-Arnold seemed like he was perfect for that game and just always seems that, that Southgate and again it's, it's hard to say sometimes it's, he's not necessarily seen it but it looks quite quite easy at times and it's easy to say and I grant that it's easy to say but if you've got a player like Alexander-Arnold in that sort of game against the US I think that it's tailor-made for him to, to put him in now he brings him on last night for 15-20 minutes or whatever it was he, he brought him on for in that game against Wales and it just seems crazy why he's got him in the squad because he's third choice. He's not going to use him. And it's almost like, what is the point in having him there? He, he, he put him on there last night to maybe side sidestep the questions of why is Trent Alexander-Arnold not playing? And I understand maybe in some of the big games you might not necessarily want to use him because he has struggled defensively. And he does struggle defensively, no doubt about that. And Cal Walker's probably a better defender than him. But I think in that sort of game against the US, there's, there's, there's no real chance they're going to get in behind. Creativity-wise, they're, they're not the best. I don't feel in the final third. It seemed tailor-made for him. So, yes, maybe Rashford put himself in there. Two excellent goals from him. Certainly the first three kickers was excellent. But Foden is, is a must in, in my mind. I think they're going to go and progress, yeah. It's interesting they switch wings in the second half. So, generally Southgate seems to prefer inverted wingers. It's such a contrast to your day. I mean... I'd say you spent 95% of your time left-footed on that left wing for Ireland. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, yeah. did play, I did play a couple of games on the right-hand side, but yeah, definitely, Joe. Definitely, I, well, either left wing or left back. Yeah, that, that's how it would have gone for me. Yeah. Um, there was that feeling, there wasn't a few... It was, even when you were a kid growing up, there wasn't many left-footers that probably were around. And if you were left-footer, you were automatically put on the on left midfield or left back. Yeah. If there was another one that was a bonus, you might fit them into centre midfield but that, that was always the case and that seemed to be Just the mentality probably when I first went into the game yeah exactly stay wide when I was a kid when I was a kid Joe I've said this to you before it was to me didn't necessarily have a responsibility to get back even yeah. responsibility on the on the fullback get the um, get the ball to me that's what it was stay wide get the ball to me you go and beat your man and get crosses get shots at goal or whatever it was but predominantly get crosses and that was the responsibility was we know how the game's evolved that evolved while I was playing long ago yeah. when Jose Mourinho's side had Duff and, and Robin, uh, and, Robin yeah. and um, he had to try and fit them both into the side so we put Aaron Robin on, on the right and he was magnificent at cutting inside and do you like I mean it's amazing I think inverted wingers the, the Robin example has almost become the 
preferred option and it's definitely Southgate's preferred option. Do you think in hindsight if you were starting your career over again that you would be spending most of your career on the right-hand side and that you, that you would prefer that? Like, why has it become so popular, Probably. do you think? Well, I used to, it, it used to be nice when I was an option. When I, was, when I played at West Brom, I, again, I was probably a little bit freer and you're playing in the championship. It's, you're not stepping up to Premier League level. But I was always switched from left to right wing um, it certainly helped a lot. It certainly helped a lot. Just put a bit of uncertainty in fullbacks' uh, minds of who they're going to be coming up against. But I think I think you're right, Joe. Joe yeah, when, when I was starting out, I, it probably would have been where you would have had a, 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 an added responsibility on the right hand side and probably nurtured more as a right sided player than a left. Whereas I was, I played wing back, and you know I, I enjoyed playing wing back because I think it suited my style, uh, style of play. Um, but Yes, just in answer to your question, I think it would have been trying to nurture me as a right-sided player, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, is it because fullbacks get forward more, so you have that wide option and then you have the option of cutting in on your stronger well, foot? That's, that that, that, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, and I probably could have been, been an option to play at left-back as well, certainly in my younger days where I would have had the energy and the pace to try to get up the left-hand side with an inverted winger, a right-sider playing in front of me on, on the left-hand side up top. But invariably, you'll always find, occasionally you'll see it here and there, um, you know the, the Danish fullback male is a right footer that plays at fullback, but predominantly you'll always see the fullbacks playing on the natural side, so they can get the ball out the feet and not putting themselves in trouble yeah. when um, when they have an opportunity to step forward. Yeah, you've got to be really good to do it, aka Dennis Irwin. Yeah, well, he's he's the best, isn't he? It's he is. Still, it's still not mentioned when it comes to Premier League best fullback, but Dennis Irwin. Um, in my opinion, the best fullback in uh, in Premier League in the Premier League. He'd make my best eleven. Yeah, he I would. totally agree. Do you know what's funny? Well, look, Ashley Cole was sensational as well, but you'd find Erwin a place. Do you know what's funny? Technically, 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 he was nowhere near as good as Dennis. No way. No, agree on that. Dennis. Dennis could do. He's got both feet and free kicks, and you know his passing ability. Yeah. Yes, Cole had the pace, absolutely. But as a one-on-one defender and everything, Dennis would stand up to be counted with with with. Uh, Actually, no problem. It's funny when you watch the old games back on Sky when they show old Man United games back. Irwin is one of the few players I would say who has aged brilliantly. Never gives the ball away. Like even his body shape, he's super slim. Like he'd fit into today's yeah. mode perfectly. Two footed, brilliant would, on the ball. Yeah. Like so tidy on the ball. Actually, he'd be you know he'd, he'd be even more valuable in this era because all his skills would have been more even more to the fore. But he's one of the few that I'd say yeah. watches those games back and doesn't think, oh god, that's dated a bit. Yeah, I think I think that's right. He's, he's that type of player, and he always, I always, he always that famous interview that Alex Ferguson did when he said he was probably my best ever signing in terms of value for money, in terms yeah. of technical ability, in terms of defending and everything that he brought our team. Um, he will go down as one of Man United's best ever, if not best ever, fullback because he, he, as I said before, he was that good. And I, and the one thing with me, with my international career when I first started. Um, Dennis used to play behind me, so you can imagine what it meant to me to play behind someone, play in front of someone like Dennis. Where Dennis was another one. He just said to me, "Don't worry about me. I'm fine. You stay. I'll, I'll get you the ball when I can get you the ball. Stay the other side of, of uh, the opposition wide man. Don't come back. Leave me one on one." And that was the message he used to give me, and that was the message that I tried to give to lads if I went to left back as well, whether it was Duffer or McGeady or whoever that was ahead of me. Don't worry about it. Look, if I'm going to get done one v one, I'll I'll be fine. You stay up the pitch. I'm going to try and get the ball to you. That was the message that Dennis gave me, and I tried to take that into my career when I went when when I ended up at fullback. Interesting. Ten minutes later, Kevin Caban screaming up the line. Forget all that. Get back. Help me. Get back now. Yeah. No, no, never. <laughs> no, I didn't. Never. I didn't. I can tell you. No, I didn't. Didn't happen. No, I'm sure the guys would tell you that. I used to just 
I used to try and talk to them through positionally at times, maybe sometimes to stop, try to stop the ball getting through to players. But no, I, I was, I didn't. I just, I used to always make sure that they were ahead of me. That yeah, I knew full well it was almost like my out ball. If if a guy was going at me one on one, he may beat me, and you know that might happen. But I would have always said, look, if I'm going to get the ball and the ball's coming to me, I want you out, out, and you know, out of shot from me, not five yards away, so you're right on top of me. Go twenty yards away, go up the pitch, so you're yeah. going to be able to. You'll be in a position where you'll be more of an attacking um, position when you get the ball. And that's what I, I always tried to give to, to the lads that played ahead of me. Good man. It's about 25 to 1 where you are, so I'm sure you've got a big night out planned. We will let you go. No, everything shuts here at 1, Joe. Don't worry about that. Okay. Uh, there's nothing on for me. It'll be, it'll be the metro back to the hotel now for me. Okay, well, listen, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kev. Take care. Joe, good man. See All the best. Pleasure. Thanks, Emil. Kev Kilban with us uh, live from Doha, where he's just watched Argentina. Uh, beat Poland by two goals to nil. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Get more out of the sports you love on Sky Sports Extra. Uh, sports Extra has BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on off the ball. With Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. You're welcome, Mac. Always great to welcome Marcella Mora Irahu to the show. Marcella, evening. Hello, good evening. So Poland didn't throw a whole lot Argentina's way. That said, after a shaky start, are Argentina starting to find their feet at this tournament? I think, uh, yeah, unquestionably, Argentina have found that kind of rhythm and, and connection between all the players that they'd had at the Copa America, albeit with some new players, um, Enzo Fernandez and Julian Alvarez particularly, who had their debut these last couple of games and then today just were just spectacular, uh, both of them. But it, it, I, I mean, I, I was surprised and this, I thought it was just me that was perceived Poland to not be kind of trying to attack at all. It mm. was quite odd. And I don't know what will happen, you know, as we progress in this tournament and the stakes get higher and higher, that um, there will be quite such a lot of space given to to Argentina but definitely for a for a team that had needed to 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 prove somehow psychologically and emotionally to themselves and to the fans that they were up to it uh the performance i think was spectacular and and i think messi was really really outstanding um which isn't a surprise but it's kind of the fear we all have mm. is Messi going to be outstanding <laughs> and he was so uh it was yeah it was a great great game great second half as well but a, a really enjoyable game yes I don't really understand what happened to Poland though and I doubt that will happen again in in with other teams yeah, it was very odd, the Polish uh, approach this evening, but it, it worked for them by hook or by crook. They play France. So France are this uh, explosive side and we've seen that over the last uh, week or so. Argentina, certainly based on this evening's game, uh, they seem to enjoy that more patient build-up. They love the ball. They like passing. They like patience. They are a team uh, operating at their own leisure. Is that generally their style? Well, I, I don't know how much we can say generally in the sense that throughout Messi's career with Argentina, there's been so many kind of different permutations of this 
leisurely style and sometimes it felt like a, a, the most inordinate weight upon him and sometimes it looked shambolic and chaotic and messy not him messy but but um but at the same time i think the way they i mean they've reached cop america finals and a world cup final before or bit eight years ago the world cup final but the cop america they won last year it was a little bit like this and i think um you know there's sometimes critics towards the possible weakness in defense or sometimes confusion in the midfield and i think one of the big worries before this tournament was when los celso was was deemed unfit because he was a real kind of pivot of the midfield and, and without him we looked a little bit lost and then i personally was worried about depaul um last game uh, but then today that seemed to work and i think the idea of the scalonetta escaloni and his uh, cohort uh, are known you know like a project or a thing um which which would be pablo Mar and walter samuel who are a midfielder and, a, and an amazing defender themselves is to have a, a system that works you know if one player you take one out put another one in and but just slot slot into like this well-oiled machine and i think today was a really lovely kind of um illustration of how that can work really well and it's probably got to do with with what makes messi thrive which is a, a, a team that completely understands what they're doing and what their role is and where everyone else is and and thus he can thrive i mean i've just had comments coming in from people saying oh Messi really is a team player isn't he and I think he's not so much a team player as someone who needs the team in order to to thrive and if they can do what they did today again then that would just be lovely because it's not just really exciting to win and and obviously go through and stay in the tournament but it's actually really beautiful football to watch and and I think it's it's football that me, that means something to a lot of people watching here um and it was very very obvious in the second half that they kind of come out with the instruction you know pass fill mm. the spaces look at each other don't don't just lob and throw crosses and and I I think that's a, a style of football that is quite romantically associated with with the kind of game we like to watch and play in in South America, in the you know, in the South American cone. I mean, I would say you know, um, not just Argentina, but but well, this particular tournament, I think it will be us carrying yeah. that mantle. Yeah, well, that they, they, they they certainly look very comfortable, particularly in the second half, and especially after the first goal to play that more patient style. Uh, something I wanted to ask you. When they were singing for an hour in the dressing room after the last game, is that something that they generally do? Or was this a group who had seen, you know, their life flash before them after a near-death experience early on in this World Cup? I think it's very common for, yeah, uh, well, the the fans here, there's a lot of singing and maybe going into the centre of town, where whichever town you happen to be in, and to carry on the hype. It hasn't been happening in Buenos Aires quite that much. There's a little bit of excitement immediately after the games and, and like dogs barking and things. But the World Cup crowd is not the, your standard week in, week out football crowd from the Argentina clubs. And in fact, there was some, there's quite a lot of celebrities there actually at the moment because the cameras 
pick them out. But also I suspect a lot of Argentinians may be living abroad and living nearer. And it does generate a kind of expat exaltation. Um, Argentina played the Finalissima in London uh, this summer, which was the South American champions against the European champions. It was a match against Italy. And in England, there was no press and nobody really knew it was happening. Londoners were going about their lives as normal. And somehow Wembley filled up with Argentina fans and it and there was this kind of post-party uh, chanting and singing that, that just carried on and sustained. I also get the impression from watching other nations and, and, and reading a lot about the coverage on the ground of fan behaviour and so on that uh, is being encouraged, like Doha has set up uh, you know, fan areas and, and, and it's very much part of the the activity, the activity that yeah. you might do and, there. And but sorry I wouldn't to, be sorry, surprised if they carried on till all hours today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sorry, I mean, I, the line might have just skipped there. It was actually the team that stayed in the dressing room singing for an hour. Like the, the, the I'm so players. sorry. I went yeah. on for hours about something else. <laughs> the team do that. Yes, absolutely. Of course, That's their thing. they do. Okay. And uh, I mean, we've, we've, you know, there's legendary footage of Maradona cheering in yeah. 1986 in the... Uh, um, in the uh, in the dressing room after the game, and it's just yeah, no, completely. Even, even for second matches of World Cups, whatever. For any finals. match, I think where the where the win was was uh, a, a release as big as it was. I mean yeah. that I don't think that was about a second match in a in a group stage of a World Cup. I think it was about the pent up pressure mm. that the that those guys were feeling and the sense that it might all be over. That suddenly was. Um, you know, just uh, release, yes. really. I did, yeah. I, I did wonder, because that, that was my reading of it as well, and I did wonder if actually having come so close to this World Cup being a complete disaster and survived, that there might almost be a certain um, pressure off them. That You know, they, they came so close to disaster that they're now almost weirdly into bonus territory and, and maybe they'll play with a touch more enjoyment or touch more uh, freedom because they did arrive yeah. here with such pressure. I, I think, I mean, I think that they did come close to disaster and then, the, as you say, there's a release in a second life or an injection, but I don't, I, I think they're all consummate professionals enough to know that they can't just sit on their laurels. Mm. And so, you know, now perhaps they just got to the same stage a little early but now that is what the world cup is like you know it's just one game at a time and you have to survive it and then you sing and chant and celebrate and then and if not you you're you're home so i don't know if it'll be um you know that this is the mood for the rest for the rest of it but there was something interesting that scaloni said uh, just just after the last game, which was we were exalted and delirious with joy and, and burst into tears because the, the singing and chanting in the dressing room came after the sobs, you know, the uncontrollable sobs from everyone. The, the, the commentator on the TV burst into tears and the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the PE trainers burst into tears and so on. And Scaloni did say, I think, well, you know, we've got a little bit too much riding on this. And I, yes. I think we all need to remember it's just a game of football and we're going to take them one game at a time. And all we can hope to do is play our best. But it obviously worked in the sense that 
they did play their best. You know, they they were ever so good, and so that should carry them through. I hope that they don't go all Maradona kind of we're the best in the world and everybody else is against us and because I think that's ultimately detrimental for for, for mental health actually to you know mm. to put it bluntly yeah. <laughs> even though they might win the football match they yeah it's too much uh, madness. This lot aren't that aren't mad that that's what's nice about them you know they're they're kind of riding the same emotional wave that the people watching and the family and the terraces and so on. So it, it just feels healthily normal, but but with a really nice um, performance today, which which was kind of built up to mm. incrementally. So that that's rather lovely. Okay, this is all far too well adjusted for what we want from our Argentinian football. Uh, we'll see them on uh, Saturday against Australia. Marcela, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sorry, I'm bringing the phone because there's just background noise as the people, as the revs start gearing up for the for the chanting in Buenos Aires. Oh wow! Thank you so They're much. Only getting started. No, it's no problem. Thanks very much, Marcelo Moriarahu, with us there uh, from Buenos Aires, as you heard. So Argentina will play Australia. That's the Saturday seven o'clock game. Before that, on the Saturday, you will be treated to Netherlands, USA. And then your Sunday will pitch up as follows. Three o'clock, Poland against France. And then Sunday evening, England. Sunday evening, England against Senegal. Seven o'clock kickoff. Football show is brought to you by Sky. Get more of the sports you love on Sports Extra with BT Sport and Premier Sports.